Now it's time for a breakdown. You're listening to Gap to Gap, brought to you by The Breakdown. Double drill deep to left field. Going back choice, looking up. See ya. 3,000 history with an exclamation point. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Jason Giambi has done it! Alright, welcome on in. It's episode two, boys. We made it past week one. Uh, it's Tommy Caroselli, Jordan Whitney, you know him as at Gordon Von Denham, and seven at Real7 Costanza on Twitter. Gentlemen, what's going on? How you doing? Good week in baseball. Jordan, what's up with you, man? Uh, it is a good week. Glad the uh, pilot didn't get canceled. We made it through to episode number two. Uh, I'm not doing too great. It's snowing in Denver, and it Whew. is about five days before Memorial Day. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I saw that on, on uh, the Rockies' Twitter. Did that, is it, like, how, like, why, I guess, is the question I'm getting at. <laughs> it was raining yesterday, and then it was while I was at class at night. Uh, it starts turning into snow, and then... It was just really, really heavy snow. While I was driving home, there were three trees that fell while I was driving on my route home from. um... Fuck every last bit of that. All right, uh, on a happier note, Seven, what's going on with you, man? I was about to bitch about the weather here, but I think Jordan takes the cake there. Um, (laughs) It's been mildly cold over here, so I have a lot to complain about. Uh, no, I, I'm happy, you know, Jordan said we didn't get canceled, the pilot got picked up, uh, happy to keep going here, it's episode two, lots to talk about, so can't wait to get into it with you guys. Yeah, I'm glad that, uh, El Jefe didn't cancel himself, that, that was a nice, that's a, <laughs> thank, that's a nice move, thank you, Jordan, really appreciate that. Um, thank you. <laughs> alright, let's get right into it, this week in baseball, um, uh, I think the strangest thing, uh, from this past week, we had, I mean, this whole week's been centered around just arguments and beef, and uh, let's start with the Cubs. J- uh, Joe Madden and-, and Sean Doolittle getting after it. They-, they-, they play a ninth inning under protest due to Doolittle's delivery, and, and then they d- withdraw the protest the next day. Doolittle with some backhanded comments about Madden's intelligence. Uh, what the heck? Seven, what do you got? I hear you laughing. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, I was watching the like the post game interviews here. Uh, so Doolittle, I love his quote because it's like such a like a bitch like response, so passive aggressive. Um, you know, we never want to doubt Joe Madden's intelligence, and it's kind of true though because I I was looking at his windup, and we can get to that in a sec. But yeah, it's a little funky. But Joe Madden. Coming out, you know, like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy. He's like protesting the game, having a filibuster out in the middle of the field, uh, just yelling at the ump for no reason other than the fact that, you know, he wants to give his team that that slight edge or just piss off, do a little whatever it was. But I'm glad someone finally called this asshole out because Joe Madden, for me, he's not like that lovable grandpa. He's just kind of like that asshole. Uh, he reminds me of Brian Kenny. Like he's obsessed with stats and numbers and analytics, 
So I'm glad someone finally called him out on it. Jordan, what about you? What's your whole take on the on the Doolittle Madden beef? I enjoyed it. Um, Doolittle had a quote. He said, in that moment, he's not doing anything other than rattle me. It was kind of tired. Sometimes he has to remind people how smart he is. Yeah, that that was what's weird to me. Was, I don't know. It's fucking weird. He, it in For him to be so upset about Sean Doolittle's pinky toe touching the ground when he slides his foot forward versus Carl Edwards Jr. who steps down on both feet, does a can-can, and then throws a pitch. <laughs> no, it's it's entirely true, though. Like, it's uh, Carl Edwards. Like, I remember they sent him down to AAA to work on his mechanics. How the fuck don't you notice that from having <laughs> spring training? Like... Seriously, he was Cubs, like, he was, Cubs pitching he was coach would be yet. fucking fired yesterday. Dude, he was tap dancing on the mound, like, and he's like <laughs> taking a full pause, picking his foot up again. He might as well have just done Carter Caps and crow hopped off the fucking mound because it was amazing. Like watching his versus Doolittle's. You're right, Doolittle. He definitely touched, but he was dragging it towards home at least. Carl Edwards was Jordan. To your point, he was. What'd you call it? T- tip tapping or? Uh, I did a can-can. Can-can, that was it. That's, I like that. Um, but yeah, that lot, there's a big difference there. So, Jordan, I'm going to direct this to you. Uh, how much of that, in your opinion, is legitimate beef with Doolittle's delivery versus, okay, they kind of got on my guy, so now I'm going to see somebody else doing something similar, and I'm going to stand up for my guy and, and throw a bitch fit about it. 100%. It's the old, gotta protect my player, let me get out there and argue with the up so I get tossed instead of my player. Uh, it happens all the time with managers, you see it often when they're, rather than have their star argue balls and strikes, they run out there and they start arguing the balls and strikes so that way they get tossed. It looks good for the team, you know, good for the morale, uh, and it gives Madden something to light a fire under his team's ass with. So, Seven, in this specific case... Is that fair or foul? Because, you know, you, like you guys said, Doolittle, like Jordan said, his pinky toe just kind of touches while, I mean, Carl Edwards almost comes set for a second time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's fair what Doolittle's doing. I think it's, I don't want to say it's foul what Madden's doing because I understand what Jordan's saying. I, I think, yeah, you know, it's good for a manager to come out, uh, boost morale a little bit, senior guy, like fight for the whole team. But it's, I mean, the, the, it's not a play, it's, it's a wind-up or a str- uh, delivery, but it's not so egregious in comparison to his own player. I understand what he was doing, but it's almost that... I, what I hope doesn't happen now is that we don't get to that point where we're all watching pitchers go from the stretch looking for something like that, because I feel like now that's just going to be something that gets uh, punctuated more and more when we're watching games, and I, I wonder if managers are going to follow suit and just try to start calling every pitcher out if they see, you know, the smallest inconsistency there. So that's why I think it's a little foul, just because I know how Madden operates, and he's he's out of his mind, so it's it's going to follow suit throughout the league. So that's my only problem with it. I don't have a problem with him going out and, you know, causing a shitstorm about an illegal or quote-unquote quote illegal move. Uh, my problem is going to be the fallout that comes after it, if it comes after it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and they played the ninth inning of the game under protest. Um, I'm looking up the number now to see how many ML protests have been played um, in in recent MLB history. I, I feel like it's not many. No, I think this is one of those situations where it's like it's not going to happen a ton, and, and that's why I, you know I hope it doesn't now just because Madden did it, everyone's going to do it. 
because you know that's that's going to be just a blemish on the game if everyone if every manager just starts coming out and protesting games it's, it's going to be ridiculous the games are long enough uh this is one less thing we need to extend these games i'm all for extra innings but not you know delaying the middle of an inning for 20 minutes because madden's throwing a bitch fit uh speaking of the cubs and games played under protest on August 19th, 2014, the Cubs were initially awarded a 2-0 win over the San Francisco Giants after rain interrupted the game in the middle of the fifth and the grounds crew struggled to deploy the tarp properly, <laughs> making it impossible to resume play after the rain cleared. Uh, Major League Baseball ruled the Cubs were at fault and ordered the game to be resumed two days later at the point it was suspended. That's, job. that's interesting. and I always, Honestly, I've always thought about that. Is like, okay, what if, you know, we're up, it's the fifth inning, what if we just kind of take our time with the tarp? That's yeah. that's interesting. It's an inside job. If Was Madden the manager at that time? I think he was, right? Yeah, he was. It's an inside I job. I believe so. I'm telling you, this guy is, yeah, it's an inside job. I'm calling that. That's that, it's not a bold prediction, it's just me not liking him, so I'm, I'm just going to stand by that one now. <laughs> me on Stroman, you on uh, on John Joe Madden, I almost call him John Madden, sheesh. Yes. Boom. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, another one of this week, uh, guys. The New York Mets are an absolute tire fire right now. Yeah. What they, yeah. they got swept by the Marlins. There's talk of firing Mickey Callaway. What the fuck's going on in New York? <laughs> I love it. I can't stand the Mets. And Jordan, I know you and I hate each other's teams, but I think we can both agree that the Mets suck. So. Mets. Um. Yeah, I'm all for it. I love it. It's this is like a teen drama. On, this is like Degrassi for baseball. It's amazing. We have one day <laughs> Cano's not running out a ball that's clearly a fair ball, and Callaway doesn't even know how to defend him. And then he sits him the next day because he got backlash from the media. Now we find out Callaway is on the hot seat, and they got swept by the worst team in baseball. So everything kind of falling into place for this team just how I would like to see it happen. And I can't wait to see what happens next because I'm telling you, this is like a soap opera with this team. I, it's it's laughable how dysfunctional they are. And, and Jordan, touching on Joanna Cespedes, I think uh, you oh, looked up, yeah, yeah, you looked this up a little bit too, so I'll let you take this one away. Uh, actually, I first want to finish on how bad the Mets have Please. Um, the one thing that's really going to be shocking for baseball world watching the Mets this year is they're going to trade a pitcher they're not going to be able to pay all of those arms they just gave Jacob deGrom a extension I think in the offseason I would not be shocked if Noah Syndergaard were to be traded uh, come trade deadline obviously he's going to be highly sought after and who wouldn't want him mm-hmm. and god how gr- happy would he be to leave that situation with their <laughs> anemic offense and no run support right now they are in the bottom ha- uh, bottom 10 I would say for their runs 4 in yeah. the last 3 games they're averaging 1.67 runs so that means one game they had 3 and then they were shut out twice by them uh, Marlins right? yeah, yeah. Yep. They've lost five of their last six to add to that. That's horrible. Um, but yeah, so Jonas Espedes, uh while at home on his ranch, because why wouldn't he be a cowboy? <laughs> um, he broke his right ankle. Uh, he fractured it in multiple spots in a ditch or a hole. Uh, I'm not really 
too sure the specifics on that one, but I know that Mets fans are not happy, and they're probably stuck with him on their payroll because they won't be able to cut him due to the injury. Wait, the Mets with a bad contract? Get out of here. Stop it. The New York Mets? Yeah. (laughs) They're still paying Bobby Bonilla. They're paying Bobby Bonilla until, I forget the year, but... Yeah, it's 2036, because, isn't it? Something like yeah. that. 35, yeah. 35. Yeah. So Bryce Harper is going to collect all his money before Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> let that let that sink in. So, oh, I love that thought. And also, just to touch back on the Cindergard getting traded thing, because I think it's going to happen too, Jordan. Do you, and not to make this a complete conspiracy theory podcast today, but do you think that Cindergard was clamoring for DeGrom to get paid so bad just so that the Mets so would have no choice. Yep. <laughs> hmm. An ultimate uh, power move there. Exactly. I'll just suffer through half a season with a 2.1 ERA, <laughs> a 1.0 whip and go 0-4. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this will this will only help his cause. So, yeah, maybe Syndergaard has the biggest brain in that organization. Oh, my God. Best hair, too. Oh, by far. Yeah. So you guys touched on Mickey Callaway being on the hot seat and him not really defending Cano. See, I have a, a, a soft spot for Mickey because, you know, he helped the Indians uh, as the pitching coach all those years, yeah. and he did a, a darn good job. But what's the outsider view of Mickey like as guys who aren't fans of him? Because I like him. I, I think he's got a bum rap in New York, but I don't mind him as a, as a manager. I think I honestly, so for me, when, coming to New York um, – they, say, they always say it's, you know, you're playing under a microscope and everything is just going to be 10 times magnified. And for Callaway coming from a small market like Cleveland, because I think he did do a really good job with that team, as evidenced by the run they went on while he was on that staff. But the thing with Callaway now, he just looks out of place. And that's not a shot at him not doing the, the, a good job. I think he's trying. I just think his – what he's given – or what he was given in the last regime with uh, Alomar as a GM. I don't know how it's going to work moving forward, but if he, you know, if he stays, but I, I just don't think that they gave him enough to work with. I know he has great starters, and everyone wants to point out that the Mets pitching is the Mets pitching, but you have to give the guy something to work with here. And I know they went out and they made all these moves this year, so there was a glimmer of hope that the Mets might be relevant again. But I don't know, like. For me, Mickey Calloway reminds me of Joe Philbin for baseball. When Joe Philbin left the Packers and went to coach the Dolphins, and he became like this defeated middle-aged man, and he just looked like the guy whose wife was cheating on him. But you don't you don't want to say it to his face because he's going through hell. <laughs> so that's like my that was my interpretation of when I look at Mickey Calloway now versus when he was on the Indians, and you know he was surrounded by great talent and he was doing a great job because it it wasn't him holding the reins. But yeah, I don't know. I I think Calloway is just kind of out of his element. That's interesting because I would that was my kind of takeaway when he when he took the Mets job is is how would he transition so that's I, I kind of like that take is is he out of his element is he in over his head um, I know it's it's pretty commonplace around Indians uh, fans Indians Twitter that we will welcome him back as the pitching coach with open arms if he gets canned in New York uh, so going back to the Mets as a whole though. Uh, <laughs> Todd Frazier and Adam Eaton going at it. Eaton calling Frazier a child post game. What what's going on? What's up with the Mets right now, guys? What's up with these two? Uh, this is real weird. 
Um, but actually, I real quickly, I just pulled up the stats. So this year, they're going to have Syndergaard, Wheeler, and Stephen Matz all entering arbitration. Uh, so there's no way they keep all three of those. Yeah. But back to Frazier and Eden, hysterical. Um, I'm really curious as to what type of... Uh, situation occurred when they actually played on the same team. If you watch the press conferences that each player had, you see that Todd Frazier really does not like Adam Eaton. And he makes a point to repeatedly say it and that no one likes Adam Eaton and you can expect him to act like a child. Um, it was really funny watching that. Todd Frazier is not someone who I'm super high on and never really have been. Uh, so it was really funny to watch those two go at it. And Adam Eaton, who I think he was the guy who's clamoring that Drake LaRoche needed to stay in the locker room, right? Yeah, that was him. Yeah. yeah. Bring your son to work day. Um, <laughs> 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 that was, yeah. I, it, it sounded from the press conference, though, I know both of them don't like each other, clearly. And it, it's interesting to think like how dysfunctional that whole clubhouse was, whether it was a lot of Todd Frazier and mostly Adam Eaton or, you know, the other way around. But, yeah, a lot of uh, arguments going on in baseball this week. I think Mercury's in retrograde. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's funny to think about now, too, because if you watch the video, it's it wasn't like they were, they were zoning in on one player. Um, it showed a, a video back from home plate, and you see – like Todd Frazier sprints across the diamond to go confront him and just start chirping him. Um, he has no business being over on that side of the field, A. And B, there was literally nothing that happened that would build to th- that sort of a crescendo of an argument. And I love how like Frazier was acting like, because he was acting like a child uh, by all accounts. And when Eaton finally snapped back at him, they had to hold him back. Like Todd was like, okay, now I'll fight him. Like, dude, go home. You shouldn't even be playing on the on the Mets even. He shouldn't even be a starter. So I don't know why he's getting all high and mighty all of a sudden. It, it, the pay off your mortgage, I don't know what to tell you. It's just an all-time line. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eaton's line was great too because Eaton was like, I'm 30, I have two kids, and I'm married. Like, okay, wait, <laughs> se- like, separate yourself from the whole league, Adam. Um, but yeah, I, like Frazier is like just – his jab right back is like an ad read for Rocket Mortgage. Like, I don't know what else to tell you other than that. That was the most ridiculous comeback I've ever heard. So it seems like our, our theme of the week's been beef and, and, and guys button heads. When you guys think about some of the best beefs or rivalries or whatever you want to call them uh, in baseball history, what comes to mind for you? Jordan, I'm going to turn to you first. Yeah, uh, as far as beefs, one of my favorites is Omar Vizquel and Jose Mesa. Uh, this was going back to, I believe it was when Vizquel was on, um, is this when he was on They were both on Cleveland. They were both before. They were both on Cleveland in 97, and that's when uh, Mesa blew the World Series, yeah. quote-unquote. Um, yes. And Vizquel took some serious offense to that. Yeah. I think it really ended up being great when they both ended up moving to the NL and both played in the same division with Mesa playing on the Rockies and Vizquel playing in San Francisco. Yeah, the quote was great, too, from because the way it happened was Vizquel had like an autobiography come out a few years after the collapse in the World Series, and Vizquel kind of mentioned, like, I don't think Jose Mesa... Uh, had enough passion for the game. His effort wasn't there. 
And for all intents and purposes, you know, from looking at the clips, I don't think it was either, but, and it should have been brushed under the rug. Most players probably would, or they, they would have taken it offline. But Jose Mesa took it a, a step further and said, um, my kid wants me to throw at him. I want to throw at him. I want to kill him. So Jesus, clearly th- those two aren't breaking bread anytime soon. It, it, it's funny because like all of Cleveland blames uh, Mesa for their World Series loss. I mean, he pitched poorly, yeah, yeah. In, in, in that Game 7, but... I don't. I mean, granted, I was three for that World Series, but I've I've watched that Game Seven a couple times. I don't blame Mesa. I think it's. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm off base in that, but I'm also not the guy that blames Brian Shaw for the for the 2016 Game Seven, even though he, they both. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I think there's more factors that lead to, uh, than just the guy that gets the L. Or and and Mesa didn't even get the L in Game Seven. No. Yeah, but Jordan. I don't know. Jordan, you brought up an interesting point, and we can just gloss over it real quick. But you you, you mentioned Vizquel and the Giants. When you think of Omar Vizquel, what uniform do you see him in? Uh, Indians. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure like if you thought of him as a career Giant or a, a, a Mariner. Nope. Indians. Okay. Okay, I just wanted to gloss over that real quick because I was curious. <laughs> uh, seven, what do you got when you think historic beefs? So this isn't such a personal beef with a, a specific player versus another player. This is a man taking his frustration out on an entire state. So, or city, I guess. Uh, John Rocker, we're all familiar with John Rocker. Uh, Usain Bolt out of the bullpen running to the mound. Um, he's not, he was never very well liked amongst his peers. Uh, but I found a quote here where they asked him if he would like to pitch in New York. And instead of just politely saying no, John Rocker went on to say, quote, I'd retire first. It's the most hectic, nerve-wracking city. He's right. Uh, Imagine having to take the seven train to the ballpark looking like you're riding through Beirut next to some kid with purple hair, next to some queer with AIDS, right next to some dude who just got out of jail for the fourth time, right next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. It's depressing. The biggest thing I don't like about New York are the foreigners, end quote. So instead of just saying, I don't think I could handle the pressure, uh, Rocker went into a racial tirade about the melting pot that is New York City and how he can never get along and coexist with anyone. Let it be noted that Seven's opinions, or uh, Seven's quoting of John Rocker does not reflect the opinions of the Breakdown Sports (laughs) and Gap to Gap podcast. Do not say those are my opinions. (laughs) I started to say that, and I was like, wait, nope, 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 nope. (laughs) Yeah, we're live right now. There's no way I'm backing that shit up. Um, But yeah, John Rocker is, uh, he's a loser. All time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All time rant right there. Uh, Was that, do you know, off the top of your head, was that to a newspaper, or was that in an interview, or what? Because if we could find the audio for that, that might be plugged into our intro. (laughs) I don't want that in the intro. Uh, (laughs) I don't think it was. I think it was to a newspaper, because um, I think if it was, if there was cameras rolling and he started spewing that, they would just probably cut to black on that one. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's not out of character for him. It's John Rocker. This is this is kind of oh, we're... hold on. News into the pot. Well, not really news. It's not really breaking. It was an article <laughs> from 2013 from thegothamist.com. 
John Rocker, who you may recall is the former Braves pitcher who said in 99 that riding on the seventh train to Shea Stadium was depressing, and he goes through the quote. <laughs> uh, now he's doing a Reddit AMA, and guess what? He's still an asshole. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, ext- surprised. Rocker wrote, quote, It takes balls to pick a fight with an entire city because you see how many truly disgusting people there are and have virtually no idea what dirtbags they are. I saw it as an opportunity to let them know. I assume you're one of them. Now get a job, you fucking loser, and stop playing on the computer in the middle of a Tuesday afternoon. When you retire at 38, then you can play. Oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> A genre uh, AMA is what this pod actually needs. I don't want to bring him on just because I don't want to feel like I'm being verbally abused for an hour. But oh my god! Good god! I we might have to tweet this this article out with the uh, with the pod this week because this is absolutely legendary. Some quotes in here. Another question. All of them. Quote: What did you do with all the batteries that the Mets fans threw at you during the '99 playoffs? <laughs> John Rocker. I give the batteries to your girlfriend for her vibrator. <laughs> oh my god. Jesus John Rocker, Christ. what a fucking savage. Absolute <laughs> psychopath. How did he last in the league so long? <laughs> they just like, needed that uh that type of energy out in the bullpen. Like I he also went as a villain, but Jesus Christ. Also not included in that um in that quote that you originally said is a very, very racial specific as to what he was talking about when he said foreigners, and I'm not going to even speak that. Yeah, there's a reason <laughs> I didn't quote it. For what it's worth, in the AMA, Rocker claims, I rode the seven trains about 40 times, so making my making those comments. So my comments weren't assumptions. They were what I saw. <laughs> John Rocker. What a fucking psycho. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When I think famous beefs, I think Angel Hernandez versus good officiating. Um, <laughs> no, but basically Angel Hernandez versus anyone. His his command of the strike zone as an umpire. His command of the game as an umpire. His knee. His his war against Major League Baseball, despite being a bad umpire. Um, yeah, Angel Hernandez is is awful to me. That's 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 and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. He's uh, he's definitely probably. The, I think he's the worst umpire in Major League Baseball. Uh, changed my mind, but yeah. No. He's <laughs> he's he's definitely up there at least. And it's funny because I feel like ever even before I knew who Angel Hernandez was or like keyed in on him being so bad, I would watch some of his games and he would miss so many blatant strikes. And, uh, yeah, so I've been riding the hate train for Angel Hernandez since I first saw him. Uh, Brendan, Ron Culpa would like to have a word with you. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Well played. Uh, Another rivalry that, or feud, rather, that I really enjoyed, um, sitting across the aisle from it, albeit before my time, Billy Martin and George Steinbrenner, how many people can say that they've had the same job five times? Uh, despite only leaving said job once, but you just get fired some mornings and you're hired back in a week or the next day. It's pretty great. George Costanza. 
<laughs> but yeah, in all seriousness, that that's a great uh, historic rivalry or feud between two men that I mean, I'm sure they had respect for each other. If they if he kept hiring him back, um, clearly there was some love there. But I think it's perfect too, watching some of those interviews and just reading the excerpts from the papers back then. Um, you know, when I hear my dad talk about it, it's it's honestly hilarious. It was like a sitcom between the manager and the owner and it lasted it was on and off it was amazing it was like a celebrity couple it was it was perfect for the time that's fantastic and and see i'm not i'm not up as up on that as you guys that's that's fantastic oh yeah that's that's just me being the the young dumb millennial (laughs) (laughs) no you're our dumb millennial (sighs) thanks guys i I finally have a sense of belonging (laughs) (laughs) all right any other notable feuds that come to mind guys um, for me and Jordan, I think you can agree that one of the dumbest ones that was very short-lived, thank God, uh, Tyler Austin versus Joe Kelly uh, last year. We can touch on it very briefly because I don't think this really uh, devolves into the whole Red Sox-Yankees uh, historic rivalry. But uh, I was at this game when the the little benches-clearing brawl happened, and it was like watching those two kids in elementary school fight at at recess that you don't like either of them, but you just want to see the fight. That's how it (laughs) felt. It was very anticlimactic and both players aren't even with the teams now. So that's uh, all I have to say on that one. It was pretty pathetic. Joe Kelly has a 7.8 ERA. Yikes. Sheesh. Hot garbage this year. Remember the beginning of the year, the Dodgers were in a slump. It was because Joe Kelly kept blowing games. (laughs) (laughs) It was the end of the first week of the season. And he goes, I guess if I had uh, done a better job, we might have a couple wins. No shit, Sherlock. Uh, Can I quote you on that? (laughs) Um, Especially when, and then Joe Kelly turns into a meme. He has the Yodel Yodel Kid as his entrance song when he comes in from the bullpen. Then he started wearing those jazz sunglasses. Um, He had a mullet. After he was suspended for that fight, he allegedly bought tickets and sat in the bleachers at Fenway Park for uh, one of the next games against the Yankees. It's kind of a legendary move. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, yeah, I, I think that Joe Kelly had his 15 minutes and they're up, and hopefully I don't have to hear about him anymore, unless we're talking about his bloated ERA, because that is music to my ears. When you guys brought up uh, Yankees-Red Sox beef, I thought you were going to go uh, Pedro versus Don Zimmer. No, that's uh, next week's spot, I yeah, think. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Love it. All right, that wraps up this week in baseball, and it brings us to our first installment of the Breakdown's Power Rankings. This is going to be a bi-weekly segment brought to you by Danny DeAngelis, who's uh, going to put these up on the website at thebreakdownsports.com. And, I mean, a pretty pretty great article by, by Danny, first of all. Uh, let's take a look at what we got. Obviously, you have the guys leading the pack, Houston, the Cubbies and the Dodgers, one, two, and three. Uh, let's stop there. What do you guys think about the top three? Makes sense. Uh, they are the three best teams in baseball, I would argue. Cubs have come back on a pretty hot streak after they started the year cold. They've come back down to earth in the last 10 games. Uh, they're 
500, going 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. Houston, what's most interesting to me, obviously they're killing their opponents. Uh, their pitching is lights out. But they have had two different 10-game win streaks this year. Um, and then the Dodgers, it's great to see the Dodgers getting something uh, Rio. Um, just because we do not see Clayton, the same Clayton Kershaw that we have previously seen. I know he's dealing with a lot of his injuries, and we have not seen what we expected out of Walker Bueller. So it's good they're getting production still out of that rotation. Seven, what are you seeing when you look at the power rankings? Or when you look at the top three, I should say. Yeah, I think for the top three, this is pretty much standard. This is par for the course here. Um, but to Jordan's point, I mean, the Cubs, it's weird. They're hot and cold. Um they started off really slow, then they heated up, and now they're kind of playing mediocre. Um, so maybe they need Joe Madden to come out and start protesting games more often. But I don't know. I, I think Houston, we we knew, was going to be there in the top three. It doesn't matter where you place them. But, um, yeah, the, the Houston is just on fire. Uh, they have two 10-game win streaks this year. It's uh, The pitching is where it is, where we expected it to be. Their lineup is better, I think, this year it seems like than it was last year. I don't know if I'm sure a lot of it has to do with Brantley coming over too, um, because he's kind of been a stabilizing force in that lineup hitting in the three spot, I believe is where he's hitting right now. Uh, I saw him yeah. the weekend. I and he's tearing it up too. Yeah. 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 The, the whole team's hitting. So, but yeah, it's, I think he's a stabilizing force there. Not that they really needed it, but it just, it's, it's adding insult to injury for the rest of that division. So with these top teams, you know, I mentioned it last week when when we dove into the betting breakdown. Uh, all three of these teams are playing fantastic at home. You look at the the Astros; they're seventeen and four in Minute Maid, and you know you couple that with the amount of home runs they're hitting, and it's just it's it's a great uh, it's a great look for them. The Cubs they sit at fifteen and seven in the friendly confines at Wrigley, and then the Dodgers are nineteen and six. Uh, in in uh, what's it Chavez Ravine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, just I think a, it's a paramount thing for good for good teams to play well at home, and and it's it's showing here is our top three all playing well in their own ballpark. Yep, no, for sure. And it's it's kind of interesting too when you look at their away splits. Um, they have a winning record, but twelve and eleven for the Cubs, twelve and eleven for the Dodgers, fifteen and twelve for Houston. But that's not exactly like the recipe that i'd want to i know what you're saying tommy it's good to play at home you want to win at home because you should but i'm a little surprised that the splits away um i expect the number to go up you'd have to right these three teams are what we expect but a little concerning to say the least not to if there's one thing that i would take a little note from just to be a pessimist for a second it's just their their away splits aren't very great yeah, I was just about to say it's hard to nitpick the you know our three best teams in baseball by by Danny's rankings, but but that is like you said a very common factor that uh, is kind of surprising. Yeah, especially when you when you look at you know in, in ter- speaking of surprises, we have four teams that kind of stand out as our our surprises, and, and and two of them round out the top five, and that's Twins at four, Rays at five. Uh, the Twins. They're sixteen and eight on the road, and the Rays are fifteen and seven on the road. Mm. Two numbers that really jump off the page there. 
Yeah, uh, I'm shocked by the Twins this season. They, I know we talked about this before the podcast, and not to rub dirt in your face, but <laughs> they're in the AL Central by a considerable margin, which is not somewhere we expected them to be. They are putting up a ton of runs, too. I believe they're in the top five, maybe even uh, top three, for their runs per game with over five and a half runs per game. And their pitchers, they're not lighting the world on fire. They have an, a below average whip. Um, but they're getting strikeouts, and they're not giving up a lot of home runs. Their home runs are pretty pedestrian. They're giving up about uh, one and a quarter home runs per nine innings, so not too bad there. Uh, if they can shore up that rotation a little bit more, I think they're in great shape. Noah Syndergaard to the Twins, question mark? Holy shit. Yep. Stop. Stop right now. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave this podcast. <laughs> I will log out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But Jordan, you mentioned you mentioned the runs scored uh, in three less games than the Mariners, who lead the league in runs. The Twins just trail them by only two. No, that's uh, we, it's funny too because we don't really think about the Twins as like this hard hitting team either. But the numbers, I guess, don't lie. Um, and, and there are away splits too. So when we look at the Twins and the Rays rounding out the top five, they play so well away from home. Um, the Rays, I would want to play away from home if I was them, so that's good to see that they're winning on the road because that place is a dump. But the Twins, um, it's good. I mean, they they travel well. They're playing. I don't, I, I'd like to see who they played on the road uh, to get that 16-8 and eight record, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool just to see, like, the splits, how they stack up here, um, almost identical to how they are at home. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely uh, worth noting. What other teams jump off the page to you guys? Actually, before we move on real quick, Tommy, oh, sorry. You, or Tommy, Brendan, anyone, what do you guys think of the Rays now that they've had some issues with their injuries? Uh, we saw them really struggle against the Yankees. Uh, their bullpen is looking tired as they mm-hmm. have, in more than one occasion this year, used all relievers to cover nine innings of a game. What do you guys think? Tommy, you want to take this? Yeah, so... You hit the nail on the head. We were talking about it the other day. Um, this week is going to be just so telling for them. If if it's a week that they can manage through, I think that they're going to be be decent enough throughout the year that they'll be able to sustain this. But if they crumble through this week, I think it, it could expose a ton of weak spots that could, like I just said, could be just absolutely exposed. And I I, I think. I wouldn't be too surprised to see them fall off and and kind of come back down to earth throughout the year. I don't know if they're going to come back down to earth in a crashing fashion like the Mariners have, but I wouldn't be surprised to see like some regression to the mean. It's just it's interesting to me because the Rays won 90 games last year too, so I know it's surprising that they were in first for so long in this division, but I just I don't think that it's going to be this drastic meteor crash that. I think you're hinting at Tommy. I think because the Red Sox and the Yankees are both, I mean, the, the Yankees are playing out of their minds right now with the AAA lineup, but um, I don't know how long that's going to last either. So I think when you look at the Red Sox early struggles, they're very inconsistent right now. The Yankees will get healthier, but for what they're doing, I feel like that's going to regress as well. It's going to be a three-team race, and that's I think that's not too too much of a stretch to project right now yeah so maybe maybe uh coming back down to earth wasn't the right way to put it because i like i like the way you phrased it a lot better like a, a regression to the mean is probably a better way to put that all right so this is so now what teams jump off the page to you guys uh we want to take it out west the one that's shocking me is the padres not necessarily that they're overachieving danny had them in our rankings at 12 
However, they're playing a lot of young dudes. And it's pretty cool to see. They got Chris Paddock out there. I believe he's sitting around a 2.0 ERA right now. They had Fernando Tatis Jr. Obviously, they brought in Manny Machado. They're doing pretty decent. They're playing 500 ball. Uh, They're playing about the same at home and on the road. Uh, But they're getting no run support. They are, when I was looking this up, I think they're in the bottom five in the league in their runs per game. They don't even have four runs per game, which is pretty telling if you check the box scores. I know it's a little late for you East Coast folk, uh, but when you look at the Padres' box scores, it's like 3-2, 4 5-2, 5-3. I don't know if they've put up a 10 spot this year. Um, I know I'm going to say that, and they've probably... 10 13 times a season but i just feel like they are a team that is always playing low games so i know they've scored at least 10 or 10 at least once this year because the indians hit 10 the other night against the orioles and i saw a stat that they were the last team to score 10 runs in a game this season so uh, i don't know how many times the padres have hit 10 runs but i know they have done it at least once um when i look at this padres team you know you mentioned their youth um you mentioned their 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 lack of ability to score um, that being said, to be 24 and 24, you know, at the time of recording, and I think, and, and only a minus 23 in run differential with their lack of scoring ability, I think is, is pretty telling for, for their ability to stay in ball games, I think. And I think that, that, um, if, you know, they don't have to set the world on fire and, they, and I don't really expect them to climb much higher than that third in the division they're currently at, but um, I, I think that, that they're keep they're staying in games and they're playing well enough to to kind of hold their head above water, or right at the water level, I should say. Yeah, and I think it's only gonna get better too, because you mentioned that young team, the pitching in particular. Uh these guys are are still getting adjusted to the major league level. A guy like Paddock, um I think it's him, or it might have been uh, someone else in that rotation has never pitched above double A coming into this season. And I want to say it's Paddock, but I don't want to be totally locked in on that one. But either way, these guys are still very young. They're rookies. Uh, They're coming into their own. And Paddock's looking like a legitimate rookie of the year, maybe even a Cy Young winner right now. Uh, Just the way he's throwing the ball by himself, uh, mixing the other guys in that rotation. The back end of that bullpen has been absolutely locked like they're nails uh kirby yates leading the league in saves right now he's starting to establish himself that lineup is never going to hit a ton um for whatever reason and i I know everyone's oh they got machado but no it's you need more than just one guy and i think for what they are they're probably going to play a lot of close games but i like their pitching i I think that they're just going to get better as the season goes on and more teams are going to continue to just kind of show their true colors especially in that division, because it can't be the Dodgers, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks. It can't be all these teams putting up monster numbers. So I think you're going to see the Dodgers and, and the Padres kind of separate themselves a little bit. Yeah, and just to add on to that real quick, uh, to have as young of a pitching staff as they do, and you know they're ha- they're sitting in 10th in the league right now at a 3-9-4 team ERA. They have a team whip of 1-2-2. I mean, they're, they're – like, they're, they're pitching well enough with a very, very young pitching staff, and I, I think that's very, very telling as to um, 
you know, if they can manage to get the bats in gear and get these young players acclimated at the major league level, uh, I think this this Padres team could be a force in the next couple of years here. So Chris Paddock, you're right, Brennan. He did not play in Triple A. He barely touched Double A. He only played in seven Double A games last year, Oof. and he did not play in any games in 2016. Do you guys remember uh, what happened with him? No. Chris Paddock was drafted by the Marlins and traded for, wait a minute, Fernando Rodney. Oh, oh my gosh. One for one trade. Oh. Um, joke was on the Padres at start because Paddock ended up tearing his UCL a month into the, uh, the tra- after the trade, and he missed the entire 2016 season. He missed a lot of uh, 2017, if uh, possibly even all of it. Let me check real quick. Yeah, he missed all of 2017. So he missed a season and a half, comes back last year, 2018, and just lights it up in the minors, and then is now doing very well in Pro Bowl. Fernando That's Rodney. so interesting. Yeah. Fernando fucking Rodney. One. Edwin Jackson of the one, bullpen. <laughs> one for one trades nowadays are just so rare in and of themselves. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah, that's that's wild. All right, what other surprises do you guys see in in Danny's power rankings? I think Ooh, the Nationals team. I did. Yeah. Oh, yep. I think the Nationals are a surprise, and I'm just I'm surprised just because I know they lost Bryce Harper, but I don't want to get into this situation where we think Bryce Harper is Ted Williams because he's not, and to lose one bat and to think that's the reason why you have 19 wins right now. It's it's ludicrous to me. So I don't understand what's going on with this team. Their pitching largely is the same. It actually improved if you think about it when they got Corbin. The lineup hasn't changed that much. Um, the production obviously is down. I think they were really banking on a guy like Juan Soto to kind of carry on from his breakout rookie year last year, and it just really hasn't clicked yet. Uh, Victor Robles... Again, he, he's been hurt, but he hasn't really been producing the way that many have, had envisioned him. He was a top prospect last year. So it's, it's a mix of just underachieving and, and just everything in, in between. But I'm, I'm still surprised. I thought they'd be a, a lot better, especially in this division. And then you add into that a guy like Trey Turner only appearing in eight games so far this year. That's, yeah. That doesn't help him any. I think that they're where they are struggling the most right now is that their pitchers are just getting lit up like a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. They, <laughs> they're they striking people out. You've got some of the premier strikeout pitchers in the league, but they're just getting hit for such hard contact, and their offense is going through major slumps. I think at one point this season, possibly even within the last two weeks, they only had like two guys batting over 270. Um, obviously, losing Trey Turner within the first week of the season is less than ideal. But still, to be doing this badly, this far in, and you're in the NL East where you get to play the Mets that often, come on. And the Marlins. Oh, Jesus, I forgot about the Marlins because they're barely above them. Yeah. Jeez. Alright, uh, moving forward, take a look at the gutter. I mean, 27 was the Nats, 28's the Royals. 29, the O's, and last but not least, the lowly Marlins rounding out the pack. Uh, what's what jumps out off what jumps off the page uh, besides the Marlins just absolutely struggling away from that uh, egregious ballpark at four and fourteen on the road. Baltimore's bullpen is bad. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. No, and same with Kansas City. And we uh, these three teams are in a rebuild, so I'll give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but 
Uh, they're, they're, it's terrible. Um, and it's not even like this is like a tankathon. It's they just suck. So I, I don't know how quick of a turnaround we can expect from them, but I don't expect the power rankings to change too much with the bottom three all year. No, although I would say about the Royals, their defense is incredible. They're leading the league in uh, defensive percentage, and they have the least amount of errors per game. Uh, they're kind of built on this old-school mentality of speed and defense, but it's 2019, and we want dingers. Yeah, I said in my division previews that they would have to lead the league in steals if they even wanted to sniff coming out of the cellar. They have Mondesi, who's lead, who is leading the league right now with 17, and then Billy Hamilton has nine, so they have two of the top six base stealers in the league, but, I mean, clearly it hasn't been enough. Uh, you mentioned... You mentioned the three. Uh, I want. I just wanted to say three and D. I am so tired. Um, <laughs> uh, you mentioned. You mentioned the speed and defense that they're built on, but like you said, is is the game's changing. That doesn't work nowadays. Nope, not gonna cut it anymore. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, beyond that and beyond the power rankings, we're really happy that we were able to put that out. Danny will be updating that every two weeks. Uh, we feel the two weeks is good time. That way, team can work through their pitching rotation twice, and we reevaluate them after that time versus we're seeing a team and every week they might be on the road for that entire time. doesn't really give you a true feel of the team. Uh, another thing that we've been doing a lot on our website is you'll see the Thrive DFS articles. So if you're like me and you're tired of playing season-long fantasy, uh, check out Thrive Fantasy. There, It's a brand-new prop bet-based lineup game. You're going to think daily fantasy lineups combined with prop bets. Concept is simple. You choose an over-under for a player's given stats. Uh, think Bryce Harper's home runs. Think hits plus runs for players or even strikeouts for some of the pitchers. You, when you combine one of the highest scoring lineups for that night, you cash in. Thrive Fantasy is located in the Apple and Google Play Store. For the month of May, you'll receive a free $10 match when you deposit $10 through PayPal. Whether you're looking to play $2 games or lose a $50 game like Tommy, thanks, man. Is a match for you. Uh, use our code Breakdown B R K D W N, and you'll receive $10 free when you deposit uh, via PayPal. Thrive Fantasy, prop up with us. You were going through that read, and you mentioned the exact stats that I asked you on last night, and I was like, he's gonna throw some shade at me. I know it's coming, <laughs> but no. I'll say this, even though I lost that $50 contest last night, it's it's so much more fun than just playing, getting my ass beaten in year-long fantasy baseball or, or playing the different styles of daily fantasy. I think this is, that Thrive is such a cool cool way to go about it. So, moving on to the batter's box, our second installment, um, and we're going to start with Seven's triple crown pick, and uh, that's not not appearing too bold nowadays as, as he is tearing it up. Cody Bellinger, what do you got, Seven? So let's just uh, touch briefly on this. I I have a piece coming out on Bellinger that will be on the breakdown uh, later this week. But just to look at his stats and break them down, 405 average and leading the league still in RBIs as of this recording. The home runs, I believe, will be there. Um, but the one thing that I, no- I noticed, at least, was his hard contact rate right now is over 50%. So when you think about that, that's like God-level stats. He's... Over half the time, he's making hard contact. His line drive rate is almost double what it was last year. And his home run to fly ball rate has almost doubled from last year as well. So, Ballinger, for all intents and purposes, is tearing the cover off the ball. I, I don't think it's going to slow down 
um, where, you know, getting to that quarter mark in the season and he is just still doing what he's been doing all year and that's raking. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to slow down at all. Bellinger is, you know, he's the hottest hitter in the game right now, and we have to respect it. Yeah, honestly, I truly don't have anything else to add. Uh, Brendan pretty much covered it all. Bellinger and just the Dodgers in general are absolutely on fire, and Bellinger, I know he's up towards the top of the league in his home run numbers. Brendan went through his batting average, his uh, slugging. He's just really tearing the cover off the ball. Yeah, he's been unconscious, and I think I think seven hit the nail on the head, so... Nothing more to add there. Um, I'm going to go into this next one with a little bit of a heavy heart. Jose Ramirez has been the the anti uh, Cody Bellinger. As <laughs> boy, oh boy, the guy goes from 39 yaks and 105 ribs last year to now year to date a .1 WAR, four bombs, a, hitting a buck 97. But hey, guys, he's got 12 steals. Like. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what the heck happened to, to J-Ram? Someone help me help me out here. Well, I was doing some digging on Ramirez, and it's interesting because in the second half of last year, he hit 218. And so this isn't like this is something that is so far-fetched that Ramirez is all of a sudden a shitty hitter. No, and I'm not saying he is, but he's been struggling over his last 400 to 500 at-bats dating back to last year. So I don't know if it's a mechanical thing where he just has to iron a couple things out. Um, I don't know who the Indians hitting coach is. Tommy, you might know, but I... For Van Berkleyo. Not- I think it's a Leo Van Berkleyo, Ty Van Berkleyo. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I, that's just a, that's a hell of a name. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just think someone has to work with him because clearly there's something off in his swing right now. There's something off in the way he's approaching it. He's always been a pretty aggressive hitter, but it, it's he's seeing more pitches this year. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, I wish there was an answer that we could just briefly get to here, but it's worth a, a longer discussion, and I think they got to figure something out with him because this is not the same player that was there for you know the first 93 games last year when he was hitting the cover off the ball. This is this is uh, it's starting to be a, a little concerning if you're an Indians fan. Yeah, I would agree with that, and, and as an Indians fan, I would I would absolutely agree. You know, he had a 939 OPS last year, hit, uh, 39 steals, 30, or I'm sorry, 34 steals, 39 bombs. Yep. I mean, it was as close to a 40-40 guy as we've seen in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that 39 homers, I think, was the worst thing he could have done because now I think he, to me, when I watch him hit, it looks like he's trying to hit the ball out of the yard on every swing. And I, that wasn't how he got to being third in MVP voting in two consecutive years. Um, so I don't know. It's like you said, it's worth a longer discussion, but you know, running out of time on pods. So we'll move straight into our call to the pen. Domingo Germain, the league leader in wins. I mean, we talked last week, I think it was last week or it was off pod that we hate the wins that is, is it pointless to point him out as, as the league leader or is, is it, more, is there more to this? I'm going to turn to you first, Jordan. Um, he's actually doing really well. I'm the first person to try and bash a Yankees player any opportunity I get. However, can't do that here with Herman. Uh, he's eight and one on the year, which is pretty comical. Uh, there are that's what half the wins that the Marlins have. Uh, more, more than that. Marlins Jeez. have 13 wins, and uh, Armand has eight wins. That's wild. Uh, but what I really like him—it's not the win stat; it's 
his whip. He's, he is under a 1.0. Uh, but yeah, he's winning games. He's getting good run support uh, to some degree, at least better than the rest of the Yankees staff. But he's also just getting lucky. We talked about this before, and we feel that getting the win is a little bit more to do with luck, mm-hmm. not ne- necessarily uh, vindictive. Or, mm, mm, nope. Indicative? Uh, indicative. <laughs> Jesus. I knew I'd get there eventually. Uh, not necessarily indicative of strong performance, but for uh, him, it actually is. Yeah, I think it's just a, it's one of those anomalies where, especially for the Yankees team right now, where they're trotting out just replacement players, and for whatever reason, he's getting run support. And it's I think it's impressive. He's staying in the game long enough to collect the win. I don't think it's indicative, a uh, great vocab word for today. Um, I don't think it's indicative <laughs> of that he's going to be the Cy Young by any means, but uh, he's definitely turning some heads, and I'm all aboard the Herman train. I'm glad he's you know producing. This is a guy that had like a 5 ERA last year. They sent him down. So, uh, you know, it's a good comeback story for him to be able to do this and kind of be the cog in that rotation right now and stabilize it while they're waiting for guys to get back from injury. Anything else to add on that, Jordan? I actually like him. He's the one Yankees pitcher who I will not uh, bet against. That's worth noting. That is absolutely worth noting. All right, uh, going into Memorial Day weekend, a pretty good slate of games. Uh, Got the Rays traveling to Cleveland to take on the Tribe. Uh, Red Sox and Strohs, Phillies and Brew Crew, Braves and Cardinals. Uh, Which one of those four series jumps jumps off the page to you guys? I'll go ahead and start this off. I'm really looking forward to the NL matchups that we have, the Phillies and Brewers and the Braves and Cardinals. I'll tackle Braves and Cardinals first just because there's a lot of question marks uh, there for me. The Braves pitching rotation is so hit or miss right now. Uh, Fulton who's someone that we had expected to come into the season looking really good, has been the opposite of that. I guess we would say he's the anti-Chris Paddock. Uh, He's just not looked good at all. His ERA is through the roof. I believe it's still over five. And they're really struggling. How they haven't made a serious offer and honestly, who cares if you're going to miss out on a draft pick for to get someone like Dallas Keuchel. They should be out there. They need another starter. I think that this weekend in this matchup against the Cardinals, which the Cardinals are another team that there's so many question marks with. Uh, Flaherty gets lit up on a fairly regular basis. Wainwright looks like he's like 45. Uh, Michael Waka 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 uh, is <laughs> garbage. Five and a half ERA. Uh, and he gives up home runs more than I brush my teeth in a day. And it's just not looking good for Cardinals as far as their rotation. But then you have Azuna, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Carpenter is an absolute sieve right now, so he's not doing well. I think his batting average is around the 200 mark. So it'll be interesting to see. Whichever team can come out with this, which I actually am going to go ahead and say that will be the Cardinals, I think that they're going to be the team that will start to pick it up. I do think that they need to figure out and put some stability into that rotation or they're going to have a tough time all year and play 500 ball. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm looking at those games too, but uh, the Sox and the Strohs is going to be interesting too. Because by that time, the Astros are going to get a little bit of a different look. Uh, Price is back now. I, I believe he's slated to pitch if we're going by the five-day rest rule here. I believe he's slated to pitch against them uh, upcoming. And then the Rays and Indians, for me, that's interesting because we talked about the Rays kind of scuffling a little bit uh, the previous few games. 
and the Indians, this is a big chance for them. And, and Tommy, I'm sure you can touch on it too. But this is, I think, this is a statement series for them to prove that they're still competitive in that division and that they are not going away. So I think this is going to be a series that is going to be very interesting just from a standpoint for both divisions, the East and the Central. It has a lot of implications on moving forward, what we can expect from both teams, I think. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth with statement series. Is This is going to be, I don't want to say, it's hard to call a series make or break in April, or I'm sorry, in May, but if, if the Indians don't at least take two out of three or at least look competitive in all three this weekend, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to, one, get fans to the ballpark, to uh, get uh, any belief in, in this team it, from the fans and from from in that locker room, um, they need to be able to prove it to themselves. They need to be able to prove it to uh, baseball that they can compete at a high level. Because I mean, even though you still have you have you have eventually Kluber coming back here soon, um, and Clevenger coming back here soon, but. Boy, it is, it's not looking good right now for the Indians, and this is a big series that they need to compete in. Yeah, I think we're just working off what you two guys said, I think this week is very indicative for the race. Um, like, there we are. Keep using that word. There's that word. Word of the day. <laughs> uh, if they're able to get through this weekend, I think that points towards good signs. But honestly, I'm, I'm tempering my expectations on the race. I think that the Indians have a good opportunity to take this series, especially with it being at home. And like you mentioned, Tommy, it gives the fans something to come out to the ballpark for. We know that they're not lighting it up with their bats. So perhaps uh, one of these games they could surprise everyone. You know, maybe there's, what are we playing, like a day game on Sunday? Maybe Sunday afternoon in the Cleveland sunshine, they can light it up, put up like 12 runs on the Rays when the Rays are working with like six relievers over the course of a game. Ah, yes, Cleveland Uh, known for its sunshine. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, The other game, Sox, yes, you are right. Chris Sale should uh, come up to play them, which is interesting since he just pitched against them this past weekend. I think it's funny that the Sox and Astros are playing each other in consecutive weekends, but this time we'll uh, be the ones getting aboard the planes. The Phillies and Brewers, that's two teams with a lot of questions. Obviously, the Brewers have Christian Yelich, who's been lighting it up, uh, looking ungodly out there, and making the rest of his team and the rest of his division look rather pathetic uh, in terms of what they're capable to do at the plate. The Phillies, so many questions with that team. Um, Their pitching rotations looked interesting. Aaron Nola finally had a first good outing of the season. We should see him in this series. I can't wait to see that. Aaron Nola versus the Brewers uh, lineup should be pretty good. Nola hasn't really been good uh, this year in his second and third time through the rotation, which is why he's had some shorter games. He's gone under five, I think, at least twice. Uh, Curious to see what's happening with Phillies. Can Bryce Harper start to put up uh, numbers that reflect the money he is making or not. Um, but yeah, anything to say on either any of those games, guys? No, I think you hit it all. Uh, I think for for Harper, it's going to be a bigger series. Just I know he's feeling the pressure right now. Just oh, from his yeah. interviews, I, he sounds like the puppy who lost his way a little bit. He's um, he's not he's not a three hundred hitter. I think we know that he had that breakout season in twenty fifteen where it seemed like everything was falling into place. But uh, yeah, they paid a lot for him. He has to produce more. Um, so yeah, I think this is a good series for him. He's going to have a great test in front of him and these are two of the best teams in the NL. So I, it's going to come down to the wire for me. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'm really looking forward to, um, I, I think in baseball, so few times do 
is a superstar versus superstar matchup highlighted. I think it's a really good chance for baseball to market Yelich versus Harper this weekend. Um, I think that's a real. It'll be really interesting to see how those two face off. And granted, baseball is so unique in that sense that unless it's batter pitcher, you don't see two guys really face off, quote unquote. But I think it's a, it's a unique opportunity for baseball to, to market two of its premier outfielders right now. I really like that. Um, it reminds me back to early to mid uh, 2000s with baseball tonight or they'd be hyping up the Sunday night baseball games and you'd have those great fly-in graphics from each premier player on the teams. So that'd be cool to see what they're able to do. Uh, and you are right, it's something they talk about often is the marketability of players and this is definitely a big opportunity for them. Uh, let's go through, let's each pick a winner for each of these series. Uh, and because there's four games, we'll go ahead and we'll do a tiebreaker. Uh, this is totally coming off the cuff right here. For a tiebreaker, pick the series that has the most runs, and then pick the series that has the least amount of runs. Ooh. Okay, I like this. Um, I'll start off. So we're going each series a winner, and then most runs, least runs. Uh, yep. I'll we're t- doing it without no improbables. So, good luck. All right. I'll take I'll take the Rays to top the Indians two out of three. So who do you, who do you got in that series? I am actually I'm going to surprise. I'm going to take the Indians here, uh, taking two out of three. I think that the Indians will really get to the Rays and wake up their bats uh, at least one of these games. Seven, who I'm you like? The Rays too. Yeah, I'm taking the Rays. Um, I just think the Indians for right now their rotation. With so many injuries, uh, we don't know who's going to pitch right now, too, which is kind of an issue. But um, I think the Rays are just a better team at this juncture. So I'll take the Rays for this series, two out of three. Sox and Astros. Um, I like the Strohs, two out of three. And this is going to be my most runs. Actually, I'm, I'm going to go least runs in that Rays-Indian series as well. All right. Uh, I am actually going the other way. Sox are going to bounce back. Sox got killed by the Astros. Eh, not necessarily killed. They ended up taking a game or two in the series. But I think the Sox are going to come out, uh, head down to Houston, and actually take this one. I'm also going with this one as... No, you know what? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to take... Jordan, this might surprise you. I'm taking the Sox in the series. Nice. Um... I don't want to, but uh, I just think that the Sox, I feel like they're going to hit their stride sooner than later, and I think the Astros have to have some type of a lull. Uh, Not to say that they're going to go through a a streak of just terrible play, but they have to lose some games here um, at some point, and I think this is going to be that series. They just saw each other, but I think the Red Sox are going to steal the series from them. When I look at the Phillies and the Brewers, I like the Brew Crew to take two out of three here. Yeah, I'm with you there too, Tommy. I like the Brewers here. I think this is going to have the most runs um, in, in the series, uh, if we're talking just pure light show. Uh, Yelich and Harper, I think you can see some some uh, fireworks here with home runs, RBIs. Yeah, it's going to be a slugfest. I, at least I think so. Um, joining you both on this one. I'm going to go with the Brewers here. Um I thought maybe the Phillies, but I really can't trust that rotation right now. Uh, I actually am not taking this as my most runs, but going back to Sox and Astros, I'm going to take that as my least runs. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I'm taking my least runs as the Rays and Indians just for the reasons you guys pointed out already, but uh, I'm not stretching too far there. All right, Braves and Cardinals. 
Oh, let's see. What am I doing? I'm going home team, home team. I'm going to end road. I'll, I'll, go even, I'll go even split on, on home and road. I'll take the Braves to take two out of three in St. Louis. Just kind of going with yeah. the gut there. No real reasons. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, it's, hey, this is instant reaction here. I like the Braves, too. I think the Braves, their pitching is, is better. Um, we went through the Cardinal struggles already with their pitching rotation. I think the Braves' pitching is better. Uh, their bullpen's a little leaky, so that'll be kind of fun to see how that plays out if it's a close game. But I like the Braves. They're, they've been playing well. They can hit. Uh, everything seems to be clicking except for that bullpen. So that's my only question mark on this series. Yeah, you. The, that bullpen has been really streaky. Uh, they've given up some big leads at the end of games. Not necessarily that they've always blown uh, the save, but I just think it's something that definitely keep an eye on. I'm going the other way with this one. It's Cardinals. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's St. Louis. Uh, their fan base is one of the more loyal fan bases, and I think that the Cardinals are going to show up for them. Uh, I am putting this one as my series with the most runs. I think the Cardinals are going to, if we see uh, Fulton Avich, I think the Cardinals could put up 10 on him. Um, not necessarily on him, but chase him out of the game early on and put up 10 total in that game. Uh, Fulton Avich just pitched two days ago, so it's likely we could see him on either the Friday or Saturday game, and that could be fun to watch. That was a good little impromptu segment. I like that. Thanks, man. Uh, all right. <laughs> Moving forward, uh, our curtain call, our parting hot takes. Uh, I'll go first this week. I think that this is going to be the first year since 2011 where you have more than five players hit for 200 hits. Um, looking back on it through the years, we haven't had five since since 2011. And just quickly scrolling through baseball reference, it looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There was seven in 2007, and that was the most we've had in quite some time. Right now, um, through 40, uh, 43 games, there are 11 players on pace for it. So I think at least of those 11 and guys that are just missing that on pace, there'll be uh, at least five or more. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, for me... I am. I feel like I always take stupid takes uh, on this curtain call. But anyway, I believe that there's going to be two rookies this year with sub two ERAs by the end of the year. And I'm looking at Paddock from San Diego. We touched on him already, and also uh, Soroka from Atlanta. Uh, both, true. yeah, mm-hmm. both these guys are just out of their minds right now. I'm waiting for one of them to, I guess, slow down a little bit. But it seems like every time they get the ball, they just deliver. So. I think it holds true. They both play on good teams, and barring you know anything crazy that happens, I think this one has a chance. El Jefe, what are you looking at? Uh, I am looking at the Houston Astros. We talked about them a lot in this podcast, and I don't want to hammer home on them too much, but their run differential is no joke. Real quickly, I'm... Uh, I've been clicking through while you guys have been talking to look at some of the historic run differentials in the league. Right now, the Astros have played 48 games, so they're a little more than a quarter of the way through the season. They have a plus 95 run differential. We're in the middle of May. Like, this is insane. They are on pace to... I think that not only will they beat last year's. Last year, it was interesting. We had two teams with north of 200 run differentials uh, with both the... Astros and the Red Sox coming in around the 245, 250 mark, I think, which is really high. Um, I'm trying to find anything. And run differential is one of those stats that's a little bit harder to find because they are calculating it in retrospect, looking back at past seasons. 
they're going to have the highest run differential since before World War II. And I don't think that's a joke. I think that is insane. And just the production they're getting from their top of their lineup all the way through the bottom uh, is pretty remarkable. I listen to this uh, podcast, not to plug someone else, but I listen to a gambling podcast once in a while, a uh, baseball one, and they said that you know a team is good when even their catcher is hitting home runs, uh, which... I can't name the catcher on the Astros, but I know he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. for the catchers. I like that take a lot, actually. I um, it's honestly, it's crazy. They could, if they exceed a three hundred run differential, that will be out of this world. That means that for every time their opponent scores one run, they're scoring like four. That's that's yeah, gross. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> Like, we've overused the word gross in this podcast, but that is actually gross. That's disgusting. It's, it's just not, like, what? Uh, we really expected, Tommy, you and I were talking about this uh, before the season started. We were expecting the AOS to be fairly competitive. Obviously, yeah. we know that the Astros are kind of going to run away with it. But right now, they have a nine-game lead on the Rangers, which that's kind of strange to even see them there. There's yeah. no one else in the West who's over 500, but they have a nine-game lead and we're mid-May. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, gentlemen, any closing thoughts outside of our hot takes? No, other than just don't ever let John Rocker do an AMA ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that man off Reddit. Oh, uh, that's great. Either of you two going to any games this weekend? Uh, as a matter of fact, not this weekend, but uh, a week from the time of recording, uh, I'll be at Fenway. I'll be up with seven, and uh, hopefully well, we can we can kick it and, and uh, do a little gap to gap, two thirds in person. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Looking forward to that. Uh, so, Tommy, I'll see you there. Definitely, Jordan. You gonna uh, get your snowplow out and and make your way to Coors <laughs> or? Yeah, um, me and my snow boots and my overcoat and my suspenders will be heading out to uh, Coors Field. We'll, maybe I'll sit in some purple seats. Uh, for those who don't know, the purple seats are actually one mile above sea level, uh, 5,280 wow. feet. Uh, but yeah, we're um, my girlfriend and I are looking to check out a game on Sunday probably, uh, just because it's a day game. Nice. Very nice. And that'll, uh, that'll keep you thawed out to a day game. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Actually, it's going to be... So that's the fun part about Denver weather is uh, the snow has, at this point, mostly melted. And by, uh, let's say, I think by Thursday, we're looking back up over uh, 60 degrees. So, Logically. love it. All right, real quick. <laughs> yep. What's your guys' strategy for a cold, cold ball game? You're in the stands. Do you go hot chocolate or do you go b- just get hammered and, and keep it moving? Um, I don't know. I, hot chocolate because... Uh, I'm a bitch when it comes to cold weather, so I'll be drinking <laughs> hot chocolate. Yep. Um, a regular cold game, I would drink beer. A game in San Francisco in the summer, I'm getting hot chocolate. I'm buying a hat, an overpriced hat. I'm buying a blanket, maybe signing up for a, a Visa credit card through MLB to get a free fleece blanket because <laughs> that shit is cold. Sounds like you're talking from experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, I went to a game, Sox. It was Sox and uh, Giants. 
mid June in 2016. It was I remember because I had a job interview the next day after an extra inning game where Jackie Bradley Jr. oddly enough ends up hitting a walk off double, and I went into an interview with no voice. But at that game, <laughs> I proceeded to spend a hundred and twenty five dollars on two beanies and a blanket. Uh, never mind that I got myself and my girlfriend hot chocolate and God knows what else we were trying to do to keep ourselves warm on those metal benches. Jeez Louise. Well, that makes me happy that Cleveland, we just, if it snows, it's, it's banged. We're done. <laughs> call, call us bitches here, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That concludes episode two of Gap to Gap for Jordan, for seven. I'm Tommy saying thanks for joining us. See you next week. Keep it Gap to Gap. Gap.